We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Royals Farm Report podcast. My name is Alex Duvall. I am joined, as always, by Josh Kaiser. Josh, it is, it's been a beautiful day. I went outside, smoked some ribs today. The Royals were on my television. It was wonderful. I don't really know what else we could have been doing. So it was awesome. Great to be outside. Great to be watching baseball again. Did you get to watch any of the game, or are you a cord cutter? We, I, I was a cord cutter, still got to see it because it was the MLB free game of the day. So uh, somehow, I guess they got around the blackout situation and uh, let us all enjoy the game. So I got to catch, as from the second inning on, I got to catch all of it, kind of snuck up on me. But uh, yeah, hit some parks with the kids, uh, went and got some uh, non-disclosed fast food, no free ads, you know what I mean. Uh, <laughs> took it to the park and, and finished out the, the morning in a strong uh uh, exercising the kids to get them worn down. So I uh, got to got to watch the game and a little bit of March Madness uh, on the on the TV today. So I was I was pretty pretty happy with the day. Joel is out with the family tonight and we are also joined by Jeff Ponce of Baseball America. Jo- Jeff was a former guest on the Royals Farm Report podcast when he was with Prospects Live. We're with the new group. He's with the new group over at Baseball America. Jeff, thank you very much for joining us tonight. Um, and really quick, actually, I got to throw in uh, thanks to Kansas City Strength and Conditioning uh, for sponsoring the show this year. Uh, KCSE out at Home Field, Nolatha, uh, home of Scott Barlow this past offseason. So uh, Scott Barlow worked out at uh, KCSE. They train baseball, softball of all ages. So if you've got a baseball or softball player in your life, needs a little help, needs a little training, head on out to KCSC and at Home, home Field, Nolatha. Thanks for picking up the picking up the show this year. So Jeff, Baseball America, thanks for thanks for stopping by. I'm really excited to pick your brain about the the Baseball America top 30 list for the Royals, and even this year down to top 40 now. So, um, hey, before we start, how are you doing tonight? Doing great, man. Yeah, you know, weather's uh, – I'm out in the East Coast, and weather's been nice out here too. We've got a couple 70-degree days, so, you know, we're turning that corner into spring. Snow's finally melted, <laughs> ready for baseball, and I'm headed down to Florida on Tuesday, so – yeah, looking looking forward to catching some spring training uh, action live and some backfields action live too. That's awesome. I was this is the second year in a row I haven't made it down to spring training, so I'm I'm itching to be able to get back next year. Um, I just I got to get back to Arizona. It's been two years. I was there 
right before everything went to went to hell uh, in 2020. So that's the last time I've been, but I'm itching to get back. I think we're going for opening weekend next year. But let's talk about this this Royals list that Baseball America threw together. I think the first thing that that popped in, in my mind when I saw the list for the first time is that you guys still have Asa Lacy in that two spot in front of MJ Melendez, in front of Nick Prado, in front of Coar, Isbel, Mazzucato, uh, Vinny Pasquantino, in front of Lofton. I mean, there's a, a laundry list of guys who I think are viable prospects, and Lacy's still at the top. Now, I think everybody knows Lacy's stuff is certainly worthy of that spot. Baseball America doesn't seem to be concerned too much about the injury, doesn't seem to be too concerned overall about the command issues. Is Lacey's spot at number two just a byproduct of his stuff is so good that at a minimum he's probably a big league reliever, or is it a total lack of concern for some of the other issues that he could still be a starter long-term in the big leagues? Well, I think it's probably the latter. Um, you know, when we look at roles, the other thing is, you know, these lists, um, they're not just our opinions. You know, we go out and, um, you know, we have close connections with orgs. We do put together a list where we put together some names. Um, we're sending it around to several folks that are opposing scouts that have seen these guys as well as internally and getting, you know, a barometer for, you know, how does the industry view them? And then how does their organization view them? Um, and that kind of gives us a good balance of, you know, whether it's smoke or not and someone's getting pushed up. And I think the thing with Lacey that we kept coming back to was, um, you know, the, the stuff is certainly there. Um, it was an unusual year. Um, there were some injury issues as well. Some of that stuff, you know, it's, it's like you don't want to totally throw out what you saw before, how much money this guy got out of the draft. It's a universal, you know, top, you know, 10 prospect in that draft no matter who you spoke with even if someone didn't wasn't that high on him you know there was no question in terms of what the talent was a really unusual year you know and having to ramp back up i think um you know we can't totally throw that out so i think to a degree we kind of gave him a bit of a mulligan that said a guy that has that fastball and then you know that slider throwing it that hard from that arm slot um you know left-handed pitcher it's like they're just there aren't many guys that can do that in the game. And, you know, at worst, let's say he's, you know, a, a high octane, like eighth inning guy that can, you know, give you high leverage innings. I think there's an argument in this day and age that, you know, a, a really good reliever is about as valuable as a number four starter without question, maybe more so, um, especially when you get into the, you know, the, the upper tiers and, you know, upper echelons of elite, you know, uh, relief, relief pitchers, whether it's a, uh, you know, Liam Hendricks or a Josh Hader or someone like that. He has the kind of stuff, the kind of one, two punch that I think could potentially materialize in that role. That said, if he develops a third pitch, if the command takes a step forward this year, then all of a sudden it's like, all right, this makes sense. Um, yeah. And I, you know, I think there's probably some pretty good examples of guys having bad years with a lot of pedigree <laughs> and then breaking out the following year and sort of proving to people that, Hey, I always had that talent right in MJ Melendez and Nick Prado right behind him. So, you know, I think, I think we kind of have some firsthand experience of the organization being able to have a guy have a difficult year and then sort of recenter, refocus and um, get them back on track. The comps that we've been kind of using to compare him for, for Royals fans is somewhere between Blake Snell, Robbie Ray, um, you know, a guy who's going to be, if he's a starter, a high octane starter, mm -hmm. Um, give you five dominant innings and then probably it. Um, I don't, I don't know that Asa Lacey strikes me as the type of guy who's going to be 
uh, Max Scherzer deep into the seventh, eighth inning and, and consistently in starts. But if you can get five dominant innings out of him in 2022, that's that's a pretty good starter. Um, is, is that a fair comp or do you do you think that's I mean? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great outcome, too. Um you know, when you, when you look at those sort of guys, and I think there was, you know, similar questions with like a guy like Robbie Ray, where it was like huge stuff. Um, does he have a third pitch that's viable? Can he throw enough strikes? And guys historically, you know, throughout the history of the game that had that level of stuff that threw that hard, had that much movement um, and somewhat of a violent action. You go all the way back to Nolan Ryan, probably even later. But that was, you know, that was an issue with Nolan Ryan. He didn't throw a lot of strikes. And then when he went to, you know, California, things sort of changed. It was the same thing with Randy Johnson. And sometimes it's just like a small mechanical tweak. Like I'm doing a podcast it's, uh, over at Baseball America where we focus. It's not called the 90th percentile. Uh, it's on all the different outlets or whatever. But, you know, I bring in trainers. I bring in analysts. I bring in – I talk to Nick Lodolo. I'm just trying to talk to anybody I can that's in the game – that knows a lot more than me that's experienced firsthand. We had Tom house uh, on the show. Who's, you know, famous pitching coach um, been around, you know, revolutionized the, you know, motion technology usage in the game. And he talked about, he's actually the guy that fixed Randy Johnson. He was throwing a pen and uh, him and Nolan Ryan were talking with, with Randy. And um, he said, Hey, why don't you come and uh, throw with us tomorrow? And uh, he said that Randy Johnson threw 10 pitches. He noticed something about, where his front foot he was going from heel to toe, as opposed to landing on his, on his, on his actual toe on the front of his foot. And that changed Randy Johnson. It was just that one little mechanical tweak. So I think sometimes with guys like that, it's just a matter of, you know, staying the course and eventually figuring out like that one little thing they have to do once they figure out some of that stuff. And then it comes, you know, um, it's hard to harness stuff like that too. You know, if, if a guy had that stuff, and he threw strikes, he would have been up in the big leagues last year, right? <laughs> right. It kind of it kind of reminds me of like Josh Stalmont. I mean, the dude just kind of throws an absolute heater and then a banger of a curveball. Just hard to, to to harness that stuff. And they brought in Rosenthal to kind of help him, you know, develop some of that harnessing uh, power. And he came out and was appointment television for a couple mm-hmm. seasons. So uh, definitely interested to see if they can actually, you know, recoup some of that. Uh, potentially lost ace of lacy i think we did we deem it the uh here to remind you uh tour 2022 for ace of lacy last week i think is what it was yeah i think so <laughs> <laughs> well i want to move on to a guy you kind of gave us a little bit of a, a glimpse as to uh how, how what kind of goes into your rankings and the the you know all the you sh- you're showing us how the sausage is made apparently but um so you're talking about the orgs how they kind of speak up a player talking about the uh, rankings industry and the scouting industry, how they kind of see a player. And then you also talk to opposing scouts. So considering how the Royals think about Vinny Pasquantino and how other rankings and sites are kind of, you know, drinking the Kool-Aid thinking he's up there in the top, you know, five, five or six guys of the Royals organization right now, you guys got a number 10. So I got to think that, you know, that's just a bunch of other scouts from other teams, just disrespecting Vinny. Is that what it is? (laughs) Yeah, I, you know, I think what it is is it's a it's a hard um, profile to, yeah. you know, value a ton. Um, you know, I think Nick Prado is about a good a, a good example of that profile as there is, and I don't think there's a lot of people that that would probably, you know, have him inside of a top fifty that wasn't like a fantasy focused list. Mm. Um, and I think a lot of that is tied 
to defense and and the fact that it's first base now Prado happens to be like a standout defensive first baseman <laughs> um but I think you know if we were looking at it from like a fantasy standpoint then like yeah if you're ranking from a fantasy standpoint then like Vinny Pasquantino was a better prospect than you know some of like the youth pitching prospects right mm-hmm. I think that there's a lot of those lists that are out there sometimes too um where something like this you know we're looking for big league roles and Pasquatino, you know, doesn't have a lot of flexibility. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he's, he's first base only DH, you know, it's a team where I don't think he's going to play over Prado. Um, we'll see what the DH situation is. I know they have, you know, Santana under contract for another year and he's a little bit older. Um, that said, you know, I personally would probably push him a little bit higher. <laughs> you know, yeah. I probably value, I probably value him more than, than even Kyle Isbell to be mm-hmm. honest with you. Um, I'd probably have him around there at six because I think that that contact plus power combination plus approach is so rare. Um, and, you know, he's not an awful first baseman. You know, he's yeah. a guy that's going to be able to hold down the position. Um, you know, if I'm the Oakland A's, I mean, if the, if the Kansas City is looking to add like Frankie Montes, like that would be a name that's close <laughs> to the majors that I would add that like immediately you could plug in and he can hit. I mean, I don't think that's the question. Like I think Mazzucato can probably hit major league pitching tomorrow, you know, yeah. but sometimes with these, these profiles, guys can, guys can stick around for like a year or two longer than they should in the minors. You know, yeah. I'm not going to say, I'm not going to say Frank Schwindel was like an, an all-star or anything, but Frank Schwindel had a really good season for the Cubs last year and now has an opportunity. We could be sitting here a year from now and be like, oh, he's a top 12 to 13, you know, first baseman in the game. And this is a guy that like was in the minor leagues for a million years, you know, Um, especially with that position. It feels like we have some later breakouts and, um, you know, defensive value, I think, gets you to the majors. It's why the guys that are catchers, shortstops or competent center fielders that can play all three outfield positions always get boosted up, you know. Right like I remember staring down the barrel of a Frank Schwindel addition in my fantasy league last year. I was like, is this, is that happening? Am I doing this? This isn't real, right? It seems to have <laughs> happened too, because he's like striking out 15% of the right. time. He walks a little, he hits overs. You're like, oh, all right. Yeah. That's, that's one where that is like the classic. You hold on to a guy so long, praying for that outbreak to come. And then he's been in the org for like 12 years. And it's like, dude, we got to let you go. Like we've been holding on so long. And like, think about Paulo Orlando during the Royals world series mm-hmm. runs. Like he was in the minors for how long? And you just keep holding on to a guy, keep holding on to a guy. And eventually he's good enough to contribute to your big league team. And Schwindel, they gave him every opportunity. He just didn't yeah. run with it. And all of a sudden, right. One tweak, one adjustment later. And he's a semi-valuable big leaguer. <laughs> at least yeah. last year he was, we'll see moving forward. The one, the one bone, like if I, if I really looked at a list and, and I know like, I warn people on our rankings. I mean, I can go back. I can read. Or is it on this one? I don't think I put it on this one. But I I warn people on our list. Like, don't pay attention to the rankings. Like, it's not that big of a deal. It's more of, like, organizational depth. Like, where are the pieces? About how do they line up? Like, I try to talk people off of the don't get picky about rankings that are close together. I will say, when I look at this list, if I was going to say that there's a slight – and if I was going to say that somebody here is being way undervalued, Nick Lofton at 12 seems like almost like it's because like, like there's a, there, there's a power um, lack here. Like if Nick, if Nick Lofton hit for any more power, 
he'd be like a top two or three prospect in the system for me. I've got him firmly in the top five. So not that Baseball America's down on Nick Lofton, but if there's a knock against Nick Lofton, if there's a concern about Nick Lofton, what is that moving forward? Because I see in Nick Lofton an everyday big leaguer who probably isn't an all-star, but could he appear in an all-star game in a good first half? Potentially, um, the Royals have moved him to center field, which I will see, I think is interesting. I, I don't think he's a center fielder, but we'll see. Hmm. So what is what is the concern with Nick Lofton if he's not? like Because I, I think we have him at five. We do have him at five. What What is the concern with him moving forward? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it there is just, you know, how the pieces fell with the ranking. Um, because in terms of his grade and, like, risk, it, it's the same as Marsh. It's the same as Pasquantino. It's the same as Ballin. Um, and, you know, Isbell is low risk. They have him as a, you know, um, as a second division regular, essentially, as a 45 with low risk. So, um, it just the way that we we rank things out is the way the grades come out, and then um, we subtract based on a particular value for like extreme, high, um, you know, medium, low, etc. Um, so I think that's a lot of like how the ranking kind of came to be the way it was. But he's he's essentially in that same tier with all those guys, um, really from like I'd say from like five down. Um, Lofton, we got really good reports on actually this offseason um, and thus far. So, you know, he might be a guy that moves up a little bit. Um, I'm a fan of Lofton. I saw him a lot, a little bit on the Cape um, back in, was that 2019? I think that was 19. And uh, I think it was, yeah, I think it was the the Nick Gonzalez here. And he's good. I mean, I like, I like Alec Marsh a lot. Um, the stuff is huge. He's got to throw strikes though, you know. He's got to stay healthy, so that that's a, ma- a major concern. I'm not as into as into Ballin as this list, um, you know, in terms of how we have him graded. And like, I think with like Ben Cooter, like it, it it's it's a prep arm, you know. Um, it's pretty raw. There's a long way to go, um, but you know, he's got a lot of like elements that could turn into like a you know a really valuable mid rotation type of arm. So I can see why the organization or opposing scouts might be high on him. Just from like a projection standpoint, I tend to shy away from from prep pitching a little bit more. Um, I would I would have Mazzucato ahead of, of Lofton, but that's just because of what I think Mazzucato could potentially be. But there's also like a ton of risk with Mazzucato as well, right? Um, but well, no, I don't I don't think you're long. I don't think you're wrong with your assessment with Lofton. We, we could probably have him a few spots higher. Um, you know, I think the question is: Is it like more of like a utility player? Um, that maybe doesn't hit for a ton of impact. I don't know. Like, I think there is some impact in the bat. And the bigger thing is he takes great at bats. Um, you know, just in terms of the stuff that he swings on, he kind of balances uh, aggression and patience really well. Um, you know, the stuff in the zone and, you know, he's not missing on bad pitches. Um, and he swings on the stuff that's over the heart of the plate, you know, and he can do enough damage and he can run. He can play a bunch of different positions in the infield. I think I saw him play third, second and short. I might have seen him play center a little bit too, just because in the Cape they'll play guys in like a bunch of different positions. Um, got a ton of speed, you know, and he's he's a good heady base runner. So there's not a, a lot to knock with with Lofton, right? There just may not be anything that's like a, a 60. So you mentioned Mazzucato, and you mentioned something to us off the air I want to get to. Sure. You talked about comparing him to Kuderna, and, and I think this is where – you know, personally, and, and and what I've seen from the two, this is where we get really interesting. Like you could have really 
really long, really tedious debates about valuing prep arms is do you take a guy like Mazzucato, who I think has a, I don't know, the, the, the term I think is safer floor, but is just a more projectable frame long-term versus a guy like Kuderna who has some risk to him, has a higher ceiling, I think. I mean, his arm is huge. Like, he can really, really throw it. But like you said, he's a long way away. There's a lot of development left. It's it's just, what do you like better in a prep arm? You guys have them seven and eight, Mazzucato seven, Kuderna eight. We're splitting hairs, right? But you said you'd have Mazzucato ahead of him. You also mentioned something you were really high on Mazzucato. Somebody else was high on Mazzucato mm-hmm. off air. I want to get – go ahead and hype us up about Mazzucato yeah. because I look at a guy who needs development, yeah. especially in not just velocity but in overall – like his body needs physical development and the Royals traditionally have not been very good at that. Now Ben Kuderna adds 20 pounds of muscle. His fastball's up 97, 98. Like they're moving in the right direction. Ben Hernandez, same way was 98 last summer. Like we did not see that pre-draft. So some of these guys are making strides. Some of these guys are, are starting to sing a different tune in terms of how we think of the Royals developing young arms, but Sell me, because I've been a little bit lower on Mazzucato. I mean, right after the draft, we ranked Kuderna ahead of Mazzucato. So sell me on Mazzucato. Sell our fans on Mazzucato about why he is the guy moving forward, if he is. So I think the thing with him is it was just like a a meteoric rise. Like one summer, you know, he's thrown 87 summer of 2020. And uh, we heard some reports that the stuff was up. came out in the the spring, you know, the Connecticut season's a little bit later and he absolutely shoved. I mean, he dominated. I think that, you know, he made sports center with what, like three or four, like no hitters or whatever consecutively yep. was something ridiculous. Um, but I think the thing you have to look at with a guy like this is in my opinion, historically, okay. It's better if prep arms actually don't throw as hard and have projectable bodies. The guys that throw 95 to a hundred, miles an hour at 18 years old, not a lot of those guys make it. And a lot of them, when they do make it, they make it as relievers. It's a lot of mileage to put in your arm. Um, So I think that's the first part of it. The other thing is, you know, he's got incredible shape for the breaking ball. It's a really good changeup as well. He throws a ton of strikes. Um, And there were a lot of organizations on him. So like I saw Mazzucato last year and um, Preller was there. And three or four other scouting directors, um, Yankee scouting director was there. Um, I actually had somebody with the Yankees organization tell me that he was the be- the second best prep arm in the draft last year. And I was a little shocked because I thought it was like Petty, who's a guy that throws 100 miles an hour, mm-hmm. you know. Um, who's already he, been traded now. Who's already been <laughs> traded now. Um, but, you know, when I started to talk to people around, around the game and it was like, no, you know, I think just because of the two pitches, the fact that the fastball is projectable, it's good shape. He throws strikes. Um, you know, it's a projectable frame. He's a guy that's going to add, you know, 20 pounds, probably, you know, without a lot of work, but still maintain like a good frame without it getting sloppy. So it's not going to be a lot of maintenance. Um, and I think, you know, sometimes those smaller, it's like you either want a pitcher to be like fat or like thin, like, you know, <laughs> the Jack, the Jack guys all get hurt. I was saying this to someone recently, like, like Syndergaard, like you go right through Kopech, like all these guys yeah. that look like bodybuilders in the mound. Like they always, they always end up getting beat up, you know? Um, and I think, you know, there's, so there's the body part of it. It's the fact that he has feel to pitch, you know, he's able to back, you know, back up changeups. 
Um, you know, he'll throw his curveball really in any count. Um, but like the, the he commands his fastball, you know, do you want to see the fastball up to like 94, 95? Fine. But he's sitting 89 to 91. And the easiest thing to train is honestly velocity. Um, you know, we see so many of these guys, even coming out of college that go into a pro organization, you know, and it's something that they're able to do. And as you said, they already have somewhat of a track record with recent prep arms adding velocity. I think the other wrinkle with, at least with recent pitching development is this class of pitchers that have come through over the last couple of years, the, the amount of data and detail that teams have on what they throw and how they throw it and how it compares to other pitchers in the major leagues and other pitchers historically that have been successful. And then the fact that these kids are also very familiar with different training methods and methodologies, technology. It's not something that guys are scared of where like 10 or 15 years ago, these indoor training facilities weren't as prevalent. And you know, we talked about it off air, but like Mazzucato was a Cressy guy and Cressy trains you know, Max Scherzer, he's the guy that's like responsible for like remaking Corey Kluber and like, you know, when like his career took off with Cleveland. Um, and, you know, there's a bunch of these these cold weather prep arms that have been going over to Cressy and, and Massachusetts. And there's a bunch of these other facilities throughout the country. And I think, you know, he's kind of set up for success. So it's it's a scout pick. And I'll put it that way. This isn't the kind of pick that probably, you know, the twins are making most of the time because it's not really a model guy. He doesn't have velocity. It's not this, it's not that, but it's the kind of thing where like a, you know, an organization that trusted scouts that, you know, the scouts have a good understanding of, you know, what their development people do well. Um, I think it's that kind of a pick and, you know, they got some, they got some money to spend on the rest of the draft. So um, I think it's one of those things that it was shocking because nobody publicly was ranking Mazzucato in the top 10, but what we rank really doesn't matter. We're not a team and we're not paying them money. And it only takes one team or even a few to believe. And obviously, you know, if Preller and some of these other guys were at multiple starts for a pitcher, um, they were willing to spend millions on this guy. It's funny you mentioned AJ Preller because they ended up taking Jackson Merrill with their pick, who is another guy that I heard the Royals could have been really high on, and he's a guy I really liked. I think he was being severely underrated by most of the models. So it's funny that you say Preller and um, well, Piccolo, now the GM of the Royals, are on the same two guys, so to speak. So it's, it's funny that that's yeah. um, how that wound Scout up. Scout Orcs. You know, I mean, no, nobody trusts their scouts more than Preller. You know, paid him during the, 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 the shutdown, took care of him. I mean, he's like the scout first guy. I don't know about his trades and team building, but I mean – in terms of, you know, scouting, I mean, he's he's got killers that work for him. And Kansas City's the same way, mm -hmm. you know. Last guy I want to ask you about, and then I'll let Josh, if he's got another question. Um, Daryl Collins at 33, is that is that a wait and see? Because, I mean, we talk about Nick Lofton, still in the top 12, still, like you said, kind of interchangeable, anywhere from 5 to 12. Daryl Collins at 33 strikes me as a – don't buy the the numbers don't buy the approach um i know defensively there are some questions but that's a guy who i've been trying to tell royals fans to get in on pay mm -hmm. attention to i know prospects live had him up to number 12 on their list so we're going to talk to matt thompson of prospects live here in a minute um do you know if there's a specific reason why daryl collins is outside the top 30 or 
is that maybe, I mean, admittedly, maybe an oversight of some kind because Daryl Collins, max exit velos are there. The strikeout yep. walk ratio is one of the most impressive we've seen from a teenager in full season ball. Defensive questions are fair, but a guy that potentially hits like that, I'm, I'm looking at, you talk about it like a model guy, a model darling. I'm looking at it going, my goodness gracious, like, if, if it comes together, if you put some muscle on, if you can hit for more power more consistently, like, am I crazy for being in love with Daryl Collins? No, no you're not. Um, I think he's a guy that might have gotten beat up by some opposing scouts. Um, and I think the other thing, too, is there's, like, some relief arms that could have, like, ne- you know, neck 2022 this year value um, toward the back of the list. I'd have him higher. Um you know, I, I probably had some input on that prospects live list before I left. And I, I, I like Collins. I rank him pretty highly. Um, the rankings that I've done on my own, um, you know, Collins is up there. I'd probably have him within the top 20 in this org. Um, and like you said, the, I'm a little bit more data heavy. Um, you know, I, I definitely go to games, you know, I try to see players. Uh, I also recognize that, um, the bigger sample size <laughs> has a lot of value. Um, but he's a guy for me that passes the eye test and the numbers back it. And, you know, he seems like it's, it's truly projectable, you know um, it's like, it's like Khalil Lee, but like I'm actually in on Collins, you know, <laughs> but I'll tell you like Khalil Lee's numbers when I'm digging through data, he hits the ball hard, man. Yeah. I can't get over how hard he hits the ball. It's just constantly on the ground. Um, but you know, in approaching the whole thing, but like, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm pretty high on Collins. So if like, if it was Jeff Ponce's list, I think Collins would be a little bit higher, but we got to trust some of the feedback. And, um, you know, I, I'd actually have to ask Bill, Bill Mitchell was the one that wrote the list. So I'd, I'd have to ask Bill, um, what he got on Collins. But I think from looking at our scouting notes, that there might've been some opposing scouts that were, that were off him a little bit. And I think sometimes with these guys that, that walk a lot at the lower levels, they can get late labeled as like sort of passive, um, you know, whether that's fair or not. So, mm. yeah, I mean, I, I don't think you're wrong. Um, you know, if there were a couple of guys that I probably would stump for a little bit higher on our own list, um, Collins and Lofton would probably be two of them. So um, <laughs> you got a similar head there. I mean, like, it's like he's 20, he's athletic, you know, um, he hits lefty. Like I, I really, I really don't, he doesn't strike out. Um I, yeah, I really don't know what the issue is. I guess he did. What do you want more? Yeah. <laughs> in ball. But I mean, it was even, even that he was 19 years old in ball. Right. You know, right. like. Well, it, uh, kind of long. I, I got a little quick hitter for just like an overarching thing about here. But uh, outside of like the top four guys, kind of seems like a, a consensus top four between Witt, uh, Lacey, Melendez, and Prado. So just real quick, you got to put your house payment on some, one of these guys to make a big, big-time major league contribution throughout their careers, uh, whoever else in this organization outside of the top four, who are you putting that on? Outside of the top four. Interesting. Um, I'm probably uh, – I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to go with Mazzucato there. Um just just because I think that, you know, how projectable he is and what potentially he could turn out to be, um, just based on those those kind of guys. He's a lot like Blake Walston, who's turned into a really good prospect for Arizona. Um, so I'd, pro- I'd probably take him. I'm tempted to say Lofton, 
Um, but the fact that he's outside of our top 10, I don't want to stump for him too much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sold. He's got me, Alex. He got you. I, I feel a lot better about Mazzucato. <laughs> I've been kind of the low guy on Mazzucato, just I, mostly because of the org he's in, but I feel a lot better about it talking to you. So I appreciate well, that. It's funny, like I, I can remember a time that when like Bobby Witt Jr. got drafted, and people were like, "Oh, Kansas City doesn't develop prep prep hitters at all." <laughs> now he's now he's all world, uh, you know, prospect, right? You know, number mm-hmm. one in a lot of lists. I, I mean, we had a, by the way, we, we had a point where Bobby Witt was one on our list. Mm. Um, we had a point where Julio was one on our list. I voted Julio Witt to Adley three. We got so many scouts that hammered us that Adley was number one. Mm-hmm. So we kept them there. But um, he was really in the conversation. And we, we swapped all three guys at one point. That was that was the toughest ranking of that top 100, hands down. <laughs> That's what everybody kept, I kept seeing so things fun. like we haven't had this much trouble since guys like Mike and Bryce were, were uh, up for top two. And that yeah. was how much, how much how much trouble it was. Yeah, exactly. You know, because I don't think like even with like Tatis and Vlad, you know, it was – Everyone kind of went Vlad over to Tease. Um, you know, it was the same thing with like Acuna and was it Eloy? I forget, but mm-hmm. yeah. Sounds right. That's awesome. Well, Jeff, thank you very much for your time tonight. I really appreciate the insight on the list. If you if you guys aren't subscribed to Baseball America and you can't see the outside the top 10, fix that. Go subscribe to Baseball America. Seriously, the best I, I was talking to a kid the other day, actually. I was like, Baseball America is the the premium source for minor league baseball, for prep baseball, amateur baseball, um, all across the U.S. and internationally as well. So uh, if you're not subscribed to Baseball America, go subscribe. Jeff, wonderful addition to the team over there. Um, really, A, happy for it. Congratulations on that move, by the way. And um, for anybody else, go subscribe. Or, yeah, go subscribe, pay attention. So, uh, Jeff, thank you very much for your time tonight. Um, we appreciate it. Hope to have you on again real soon. Thanks a lot. Alex, Josh, have a good one. You too, man. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. 
Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. All right, we are now joined by Matt Thompson of Prospects Live. Uh, Matt had a hand in on Prospects Live, their Royals top 30 list. Um, so Matt, we were just talking off air a little bit. I'm glad to be talking to someone from a site who, and, and I know Jeff, I'm giving Jeff a hard time. Jeff <laughs> said he loved Daryl Collins. So just giving Jeff a hard time giving baseball America a hard time, but you guys have Daryl Collins number 12 on your list, which is way better than 33. So, uh, welcome to the show, fellow Daryl Collins believer. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks guys. Yeah, no. I mean, obviously, we love Jeff over here. He's played an enormous role in prospects live before he got moved on to Baseball America. Happy for him over there. Um, I, in his defense, I don't think he was there when they ranked the Royals. No, he yet. So can't fault him for that. But I'm glad to be the high man on Daryl Collins because I'm really intrigued by the package, the, the frame, the body, the skill set. And, like, his parents – weren't the background, you guys correct me if I'm wrong, but weren't his parents, like, dancers and – Netherlands or something like that. Maybe I'm thinking of somebody else on that part, but I know he's from an unusual country for baseball background. For him to be as advanced as he already is, despite limited time playing baseball, especially against quality competition, is fantastic to see. He's a guy that will continue to get chances in my eyes because he just, quite frankly, looks the part. And you can see, I mean, the walk rate and the minuscule chase rate for someone that hasn't that doesn't have that much pro experience or, or stuff that you really can't teach right those are innate things and you can improve them but i i, I kind of believe you either have that mentality or you don't you can kind of tweak it a little bit but all, you're not all of a sudden turn a, a free swinger into a 12 percent rate 12 percent walk rate guy right like, i'm not sure if he's around 12 percent, but it, i'm just guessing but he's high like that mm-hmm. so yeah you got to be intrigued and then you got the you know the, the body the frame the speed He's going to bulk up. He's trying to incorporate the lower half in his swing a little bit more. He's going to have some some big-time power, too. It's just, I'm excited to see it all come together. I'm just a little bit worried about Rule 5 timelines for guys like him because he needs more yeah. time. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but, no, he's really excited. Let's start with a guy we didn't talk about with Jeff, and I, he mentioned him a little bit, but I want to start with Alec Marsh. You guys have him all the way up to number five. I think that's where we had him too. I know Baseball America had him down like number 11. Uh, where'd we go here? Alec Marsh. We had him number nine. So you guys are higher on Alec Marsh than both of us. The stuff is phenomenal. There is questions about the command. There are questions about the health. Is the stuff that good to warrant the ranking? Or are we maybe overlooking the, the legitimate concerns and the health and the command? No, I think the stuff, the stuff is loud, right? And I think that's always... Um... We have access to some of the behind-the-scenes numbers, um, and they are loud. And and the thing with Marsh is he came back healthy because he, he did pitch in the fall league, right? So we know mm-hmm. we know he at least ended the season on a relative good health note. Um, I'm trying to pull it up right now, uh, he 
he was in double A last year, right? I'm trying to, yep. I can't, my, my computer's not loading as fast as it normally is. Um, but you, you're looking at the, the thing, thing that stands out is the above average fastball and plus slider combo. Immediately that tells you if the starting thing doesn't work out, you can pick on the bullpen, those two pitches. Um, as far as college starters go, you guys are probably more in love with that profile than most organizations. <laughs> we uh, have to be. Hey, I, I, you see, the thing with, you know, I don't, you guys don't really have, it's a weird, not to go on a tangent, but like a lot of other organizations, you know, you look at Cleveland, for example, they have traits they look for in their starting pitchers, right? That slider, slider command. And, and this is a big thing they have. Like, I don't know what your Kansas City's like. "Quote unquote notable thing is for the pitching besides drafting college arms. You don't really have. I mean, you got change up guys like uh, Coar and even Singer to an extent. Daniel Lynch is a fastball slider guy. Lacey's a fastball slider. Like, there's no. We I'm not criticizing it. Yeah, right. Thank yeah. you. Right. The type you has is college pitching. That's the type. There's no. <laughs> yeah. There's no demographic of college pitching, so I, I'm kind of curious to see what the pitch. I, I would one of these. I was talking to somebody about this, and I don't know who, but I, I want to dive into because we have again we have access to some of the data behind the scenes. You can see, okay, you can look at a, a pitcher and you can see his trades. You can say, okay, well that guy either pitches for Tampa, Cleveland, L.A. Like you know what I mean? Like because mm. he's got these kind of traits that other arms don't have and. You guys are diversifying your profile, I guess. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, but throw, back, throw something at the wall, see what sticks. Type of approach, approach. <laughs> right? And I mean, it was rough to major league level last year, but I still have faith in all these arms. And Marsh is a guy I think ceiling is up there with almost any of these guys, right? Um, I just think his slider. I mean, you got seventy percent whiff rate on the slider, mm. so that and that's fantastic. He repeats his delivery well, which is some of these things you can't. You know, it's hard to quantify on paper sometimes. But he, he throws enough strikes. I wish he threw more, but he throws enough to get by. Curveball's the key. Curveball and changeup are the key. The average changeup, fringe curveball. Um, I think the way he mixes them in, he's profiles best as a starter. Uh, probably number four, maybe a couple seasons as a number three type, which is very, very good. Mm. Um, but again, like I said, he can pitch out of the bullpen if he has it too. I'm a big fan of Marsh. Uh, Jeff was a big proponent of. Alec Marshall, he was with with us. Um, I don't, I didn't catch what he. If you guys talked about him at all with with Jeff, but he was a big Alec Marsh um, fan. And I mean, everything that we've seen going forward from Marsh, except for the health issues, has been great. Um, but I couldn't find why he missed a lot of time this year. I'm assuming arm, forearm fatigue is what I arm think they fatigue doing a lot of work there because you don't know what that means. Yeah. Um, Forearm's scary, but fatigue could be anything, right? Um, mm. So, yeah, I mean, he came back healthy, and as far as I know, this early camp he's been going, too, so that's good. Uh, but, yeah, we like Marsh. Big fan. Uh, to be top five in this system is quality work. The uh, the interesting part about that, you've mentioned both Collins and Marsh and the Rule 5 timeline all mm -hmm. within the first five minutes here, and both <laughs> of those dudes are – Rule five eligible coming up in the uh, was a 2022 deadline uh, Ooh, in December. Yeah. So 
we've we've kind of mentioned it a couple of times to see, you know, it, it's going to be those 40 man spots are going to start getting increasingly more of a premium kind of moving towards well, that. If so, March is healthy, you'll have to protect him. Yeah. He's going to be close enough to the majors as a college arm with two big pitches like that, that he can, a non competitive team can easily squeeze him in the, in the bullpen yep. somewhere. Hide Collins him. is an interesting story because yep. that one is tricky because if you put him in the big leagues now, he is going to struggle. Hmm. Um, Might but, be able to sneak him past one more year. Right. So. I'm kind of thinking so. Right. Yeah. Uh, this is a big year for development for him, obviously, anyways. Um, yeah. I mean, this might be a moot conversation if he goes off and dominates this year, right? Or if he struggles even, right? It right. answers the question straight so. Yep. Um, but, yeah, it's a big year for him. Well, kind so, of speaking of the uh, top five there, I want to talk about the man, the myth, the legend, Bobby Wood Jr. Oh, yeah. Um, I think we're all hype about him, obviously. I think the fan base is starting to kind of see him. Uh, make his gains there in spring training. They got his, they got the introduction last year in spring training. We're hyped to to get him up at the big league and then see him go down the minor league and show out all season. So I think my question is here: What is the most realistic uh, expectation that we can set on the kid for the 2022 season and uh, long term? What's the most realistic thing as a fan, as a, as a as a group of guys following this organization? What's the most realistic, short term and long term? I have a lot of faith in Bobby Witt. Um, I mean, we as a site unanimously ranked him as our number two prospect mm-hmm. um, and our top 100. Not, you know, so that's that speaks volumes, right? Um, yeah. Number one was Adley. Mm. Adley got number one votes all clean across the board from all of our staff. It wasn't a debate. Number two, same thing, was Bobby Witt Jr. Three was Julio Rodriguez. It was pretty universal in that aspect. Yep. Um, Witt is a guy that I think he's going to go through a little bit of peaks and valleys as he starts, as any young guy might, may. Um, I think the contact concerns might chew him up a little bit, maybe against really elite breaking balls in the major league level, but, I mean, who doesn't hit right. well against who, who doesn't <laughs> struggle against elite breaking stuff in the big leagues? Yeah. Um, there's no red flags as far as, in my eyes, that, yeah, like we, we touched on the contact concerns, but, I mean, you also look at, He's what, 21 years old, knocking on the big league door. So, like, cool. Like, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> He's splitting are, hairs type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. The concerns I have about him aren't anything that I'd be worried about if, it, if he was, you know, what, any other 21 year old. But yeah. he's at the big league level, so it's going to shine a little bit more. I, I'm curious to see where he ends up on the defensive spectrum. Mm. You guys seemingly put Mondesi at third base now. Is that kind of a thing? Or? Mondesi, they've said he's a shortstop. Yeah. So, Whit will be at third. Hey. So Lopez is kind of second bench base. player, second base. They put Whit out and right. And right. Okay. Yep. Damn, that's bad news for my Kyle Isbell. Um, <laughs> yep. Because <laughs> I like his, I like Isbell a lot. Um, but yeah, Bobby Witt, uh, I, I think defensively he's going to be fine. He's just the type of guy. I mean, he's been around big leagues. You know, he's had big league coaching his entire life. Big league dietitian, essentially, right? He's, he knows what he's supposed to eat. Knows what he's supposed to do. Um, big league mindset, you know. He knew he was going to the big leagues when he was 12 years old. I don't know how many of us can say that. You know what I mean? Um, how many people can say that in general? He's just, I'd hate to tell you where I thought I was going to be at 12 years old. Yeah, I think we all had big league dreams <laughs> at one point, right? Uh, but Bobby Witt, man, you know, he's groomed to be this, what he is. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's, I think the ultimate ceiling could be something like a Xander Bogarts type, which mm, is yeah. fantastic player. I think yeah. that kind of j- j- jives with the power and the, uh, you know, 
he's not going to win Gold Glove at short, but I think he can handle the position. You know what I mean? And I think that's like, Bogarts has gotten a lot better. Trust me. Yeah. Time, but I mean, I think that's a realistic expectation for kind of future offensive output. Um, he's only 21. I really hope they do the right thing and carry him on the big league roster to break camp. Um, I just don't know if the anti-tanking, quote-unquote, and anti-service time, I, I guess, roadblocks that will be instituted are enough. Yeah. Because uh, I think Baltimore is not going to break camp with Adley, regardless. Mm. You know what I mean? Yep. I think Julio might break camp in Seattle, so look for that. Uh, Which, this time last year, I mean, that's a, that's the shocker of a century, right? If Julio yeah, is right. the one that breaks camp. Well, here's – here's, and, like, they're not – this. Tennessee's not on that type of timeline with Bobby Wood Jr. He's not on the 40-man roster. Yeah. The thing I didn't get with Seattle last year is they knew they had to add Julio Rodriguez to their 40-man this winter. Like, that was a thing you had to do. And I think they missed the playoffs by, like, two games and had a bunch of injuries. Like, why wasn't he up there in the season instead of sitting at home? Yeah. I mean, if you if you, you got to add the dude to the 40-man anyways, and if – even if the service time game doesn't change, okay, well then you he needs to work on his defense for the first week and a half of the season. You get those games back, mm-hmm. right? Like you know what I mean. Like yep. trying to make the playoffs should be the most important thing, and I think I hope they do that. If you, I mean, signing Zach Granke is a good indicator of maybe what direction you guys are trying to do. Yeah, you guys were my sleeper team last year. And you let me down, so I'm a little bit gun, a little bit gun shy to, to declare as, as my as you guys as my sleeper this year. But that's fair. Uh, <laughs> I think that's, that's, our, that's my pre preseason thing every year. Like, yeah. this team's gonna shock the world. Let's go! And then it, quickly in April, I'm like, well, maybe maybe not this year. Maybe we'll yeah. go the next year. Yeah, it's. Um, I'm curious to see you know how that young pitching staff learned learns from Granky and leans on Granky a lot. But but yeah. with Wit, like, there's no reason not to keep him. He's he's one of your best infielders now. Should be up, and hopefully he gets that call right away to, to do it. But he's he's gonna he's gonna perform. I have zero concerns long term about Bobby. As, as I'm sure you guys don't. Either. Matt, I want to jump to a guy you guys have at number 22 in, in uh, Austin Cox. He had louder stuff than I think people realize oh, yeah. early on. I don't know that it's gone down. Like his fastball used to tick up to 95 at its peak. And from his from his release point and the the angle he's bringing the ball at, 95 plays, plays way up, I think. What level was he at last year? Double A, double A. He started a little late, but got to double A. Pitched quite a bit. Uh, fastball eighty eight to ninety one. Flash ninety two ninety three. It's not quite what it was. The Royals left him unprotected for the Rule Five draft. Now we don't have a Rule Five draft, but they weren't right. willing to add him to the forty. You guys still got him number twenty two, number twenty two on your list, right behind John Heasley, who's made his big league debut. What should the expectation be for Austin Cox moving forward? Can he still be a big league starter? Is he most likely a reliever? Is he still, I mean, you still got an, a 40 tag on him, which is a, a, a big league contributor. I mean, right. It, it seems like maybe the trend was leaning away from that, but you guys have him right up there into the mix. I'm, I'm confused as to where to have him. I think we have him. Well, shoot, I can tell you where we have him. We put him 32. So outside the top 30, because the fastball concerns, yep. you know, the curveball's wicked. The command is, comes and goes, but he's been one of the most productive pitchers the Royals have had in their system for a while now. What's the story on Cox and do you think do you think he can be a big league starter still? 
Uh, your my concerns with Austin Cox as a big league starter are the fringe command and the fastball. Um, his fastball might be, and I know I'm looking at our report. Um, Isaiah Burroughs wrote our report. He put an aggressive grade on the fastball. I I wouldn't have what the grade he put on there. I'd probably put you know 45 or 50 on Cox's fastball, um, which um, that's the concern, right? Um, not a lot of guys with um, poor fastballs like that have a future in the rotation. Uh, and that combination with not pinpoint command, right? If, you, if you're going to have a non-overpowering fastball, you have to make up for it in being able to spot it on a dime. And he's not quite there either. I do think he can fit in the bullpen. Uh, not, I, I think this is a big league arm, and I don't think you guys disagree with that statement either. I think he'll fit in somewhere on a staff. Um, and to be honest, you guys should hope he's in the bullpen because that means the rest of your big league starters with higher ceilings hit. Honestly, yeah. Um, but with Cox, I, I do think if you tried to force him into the rotation, I think he could he could have a spot there. But I, ultimately, I think he's destined for the bullpen because the fastball is not quite enough to overcome the fringe command, and neither of the secondary. He has he throws three secondaries, and none of them are loud enough. None of them are plus four pitches either. So he's kind of caught in between, right? Um, he needs. This is a big year for Austin Cox. He's going to upper levels of the minors, and and he needs to either step forward with the command or one of the secondaries needs to pop because it's it's hard to be a you know a successful relief pitcher without a plus secondary pitch. And right now he's in that bucket. Of course, when you turn into the bullpen, stuff does tend to play up. So we'll see. But um, I'm cautiously optimistic on Austin Cox. I think we have him properly ranked. I just I. I might quibble with maybe some of the pitch grades some of our guys put on his stuff, but I, I think he's properly ranked as a fringe big leaguer. I think that's – again, I keep saying it, but this is a big year for him. Mm-hmm. A guy you don't have on your top 30 that we have well, – we got him on here somewhere. or Maybe we took him off. Nope, we got him 23. Um, Daniel Tillo had some Ooh, yeah. of the yeah. loudest stuff in the organization before he had Tommy John surgery, before – so he had, uh, I think I got this correct. He had Tommy John before that 2020 season or during that 2020 season, um, whatever the layoff was. He came back last year, was back at double A. Stuff was was hit and miss. Um, again, a guy recovering from Tommy John is a little bit to be expected. He's a guy I think is not far off of the Veneciano, Will Klein, Dylan Coleman train. Now, yeah. you've always got concerns coming back from Tommy John. I don't see him on this list. Is, is Tillo a guy we still think can be a back-of-the-bullpen big league reliever, or is there maybe some concern about the stuff having recovered from Tommy John, who, by the way, as a Tommy John survivor myself, like I get it. Like Sometimes that stuff doesn't come back. But I, I also think when he's healthy, what we saw from him pitching for Team USA in that 2019 offseason, he's got some of the best stuff in the org when he's healthy. It's just kind of it's a matter of getting healthy, really. Yeah, um, I like him a lot as a reliever because he kind of gives you unorthodox looks. I'm all about, like, the Tampa Bay bullpen model is perfect. Have you ever seen that that graphic that came with all the different arm angles? He offers unique variations in the bullpen because of the turbo sinker, right? He throws a sinker that touches 98 miles an hour with crazy horizontal run. Um, We have internal pitch metrics. 
that we've kind of we have access to minor league trackman data and we have kind of we have a little program that we you know so you can kind of take the name off of, off of it right get rid of any bias and you plug the pitch traits in and it spits out a grade for a certain pitch it's kind of it's very cool so you know it's very much has some issues but it does capture a lot of things and it uh it put an eight on uh his two seamer slash sinker because of the movement profile uh because of the whiff rate again 37 percent whiff rate on a sinker which is pretty absurd yeah um so that gives you an idea of what what he can do with that unfortunately none of the other pitches really pop in that same model so i need to you know he's he's a sinker slider reliever is what he's primarily going to be uh, if he converts to the bullpen full time, which I think they're trending that way, mm-hmm. but he had a you know fifty three percent ground ball rate in Double A, which is uh, plus for the level, plus for everything. So um, that'll play, right? That's the kind of thing you're looking for. Um, I I know that's kind of old school sinker to get the keep the ball on the ground, but I, I think in the bullpen that still plays because it's a unique look. You got all these fastballs up up up, up in the zone, right? All day, mm-hmm. all day, all day. I mean, you got a big sinker monster that comes in here touching 98. Uh, bowling ball sinker, right? That you know, that's that's the term that was used to describe Tillo before. And he was on our Royals report last year. And it was, you know, the, the you guys have touched on the issues. Obviously, there's a Tommy John issue on top of all this now. Um, but he looks like he's bounced back from that. Uh, but it's command and control are a little bit spotty. The fringe change up. Um, but he, he could survive as a fastball slider. Uh, reliever for sure, and I think that's ultimately his ceiling. But he should spend some time with the Royals this year, I'd assume, if he's healthy. So, look forward to seeing him. Like you guys had eighteen guys with a forty-five grade overall good. or higher. Yeah, yeah. seems like a pretty solidly deep, and that doesn't include the guys that like the Singer, Lynch, Bubich, and Coars uh, in that group. So, I guess the depth is probably a strength of the system, obviously. But is there? Is there another strength? And then, and then I guess the counterpart to that would be uh, a weakness mm-hmm. in the system. What would you like to see, you know, them add in this draft if, if there was some kind of, you know, not a best player available option, if there was like a certain route, certain player, certain type that they're trying to find, what would you uh, kind of add to the system? I think it's a good question. Um, I would like to see them go more toward the high upside prep pitching a little bit more. Mm. Uh, I know that's the riskiest of all type of profiles. But, Great white buffaloes. Right. But, <laughs> I mean, but if you hit, I mean, I know there's a lot of things that play into this, but if Mazzucato hits, right, he's got a higher ceiling than any, any other arm in your, in your organization right now. To go with the relative, quote, unquote, which we're finding out that the college arms aren't as safe as we thought they were. Yeah. But if but if some of those college arms turn into good four or fives and Masakato turns into a two or three, you've got something there, right? Yeah. Um, but on the position player side too, I, I think you guys could probably use some outfield depth in the upper minors. Yep. Um, which obviously you're not going to draft somebody given the upper minors, but you guys a little bit lacking on the position player side in the in the lower rungs, right? Like the double A. Mm-hmm. Um, I like Nick Lawson a lot. Um, he's probably your, and then Vinny Pasquantino should probably be in Double A because I would assume Prado's going to be in Triple A. I don't know how that's going to work. Maybe one of them DHs. I don't know. Triple uh, A, but I would assume Azucado or excuse me, uh, Pasquantino is in Double A. 
probably with um, um, Nick Lofton. But other than that, I mean, I like um, another guy that didn't make the list. I like Nathan Eaton a lot. He performed mm. really well in the AFL. He'll probably be around, around that same region. But I think you guys lack a little bit in double A. I think your double A squad might be a little bit, which obviously you're not going to draft that. But I, I would like to see maybe you guys don't have any of those high upside um, position prospects either, like yeah. high school, high school prep back. You guys don't seem to mess with that demographic too much. Nick Prado is a good example of that. And I don't know what was going on that year in um, Wilmington with him and Melendez, but they seemingly have right the right of the ship in a big way. <laughs> they got. Um, and <laughs> that, that changes the up the you know the trajectory of your system. But if you look yeah. at that, I mean, this list has got an absurd amount of arms, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like. Which is a good thing, but then again, you got to have some bats. I mean, looking at what we have, obviously we talked about Daryl Collins, which he's, in a, he's not a draft guy. Carter Jensen, I like him, but again, that's a, I believe he's a college pick, if I'm not mistaken, right? Carter Jensen? Um, he's prep. Oh, he was prep. You're yeah. right. You're right. You're right. Catcher. Yeah, that's right. He's from the KC area. We've got, we got to talk to him a few weeks ago. A good, good dude, but yeah, he was, he was crushing balls here in the KC area. That's right. He was, he, that's right. He's a local kid, but I mean, that's your highest upside um that that you drafted outside of bobby witt right now right looking at the list i mean on our list he's the next highest prep bat outside of the triumvirate of witt and prado and obviously melendez right he's mm-hmm. the next he's the next guy and that's a big gap right yeah so hopefully you guys you know go toward high upside prep down get some of that stuff in the system and see what you develop an identity and player development and, and, and you know take yep. a step forward there because i mean you guys aren't going to be big big players in the free agent market, so you got to get those high upside players in the system somehow. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's how you do it. All right, Matt, to, to close this out, I've got five questions for you, and I just want a one-word response. Ooh, okay. These five questions. I talk too much, so go ahead and yell at me. <laughs> All right. More likely to be a big league closer, Klein or Coleman? Klein. Yes or no, big league regular Michael Massey? No. Yes or no? Is it possible that Eric Pena will be a top 100 prospect again? Yes. Bullpen or rotation, Jonathan Heasley? Bullpen. Bullpen or rotation, Anthony Veneciano? Rotation. Infield or outfield, Peyton Wilson? Mm, infield. Okay. That's all I had. Can I ask you guys a question? Absolutely. Talk to me about Daniel Lynch. Why why am I should I should I abandon my love for him or am I still on Lynch Island? I don't think so. I think I think Daniel Lynch is the you talk about like a scout's the pick. frame. The frame is fantastic. I the saw him there. Fantastic. The, the overall stuff, like the, the off speed stuff, he's got too many good secondaries to fail. Even if the fastball is not great, mm-hmm. but the one thing, if you talk about a scout and if you talk to hitters, there's like no deception there. And I don't know how you tell a guy who's throwing 97 with that array of secondaries, hey, we need to change some things because it's too easy to see. But we saw it with Brandon Maurer too. We see it with Jackson Coar every now and then. Yeah. We've seen it with Carlos Hernandez. The Royals got it's. You can be too smooth. You can be. Too mechanical, easy to robotic. see, 
Right. And I don't know that Daniel Lynch creates any deception to his to his delivery. So like he's he's hard for me to explain. The stuff is so good. He controls it. He commands it in the zone. He moves everything the way he wants it to move. And yet guys are on it. And, you know, there was the whole thing about was he tipping pitches last year and maybe, maybe not. But he for sure is easy to see out of the hand. And I've never stood in the box against it, but I can show you the hitters who have and I can show you the swings they're getting off. They're seeing something, right? Because 97 is yeah. not easy to see. The slider's not easy slider. to see. You should produce yeah. some uncomfortable so, at-bats. So, so you tell me how it's easy to square up his fastball, but they do it every now and then. And so, like, I think there's some unteachable stuff there. Maybe it is teachable, but some stuff that's harder to teach. Um, I'm not abandoning my love for Daniel Lynch yet, but I do start to see why there's some issues with him and Coar both. It's like, man, there's no deception here. Yeah, I think you might be out of something. Um, and then I, I guess as a as a parting note, I'll give you my my sleeper for the for the Royal system in 2022. Yes, please. Uh, Michael Garcia. Mm-hmm. I made a comment last week, Matt, that if Bobby Witt Jr. played outfield, that Michael Garcia would be getting the same praise as Vinny Pasquantino in this system. But because of Bobby Witt Jr., there's this shadowing of the shortstop position. There's already an overcrowding at the big league level. Michael Garcia would be getting Vinny Pasquantino type attention mm. if it wasn't for the guy in all of minor league baseball yeah, at the same time. Right. There's, I mean, there's one a, of those two's on the 40 man roster. The other one's not yet. Mm-hmm. 100%. Garcia is the one on the 40 man. Um, this is a weird comparison, but bear with me. It's almost like the Brandon Marsh, Mike Trout situation where Marsh is the better center fielder, but won't move because, or, but Trout won't move because he's kind of there. That's what it's going to be when Witt and Garcia are up because Garcia is the shortstop, but I wonder where they put him because Witt's going to, you know, going to be the established guy. You know how it always is. The established veteran doesn't move off the spot. So, um, well, and I think, you know, it helps that they're going to start Bobby Witt at third base on opening day. Can true. You- can you bring a Garcia up eventually and just slide him into that role? And I think you've got to, the, the team that they had at high A last year, moving to double A with oh, Lofton, Garcia, Massey. I, like uh, I think Pasquantino's in Omaha, but maybe a Pasquantino. That that lineup is is stacked once mm-hmm. again. Tucker Bradley ought to be there. I saw a funny story real quick. I saw Vinny Pasquantino um, at Instructs. It would have been 2019. Bobby Witt was there. Eric Payne was there. This was before Vinny Pasquantino was Vinny Pasquantino, right? It was, I was looking back through my old notes because I one thing I do very well is I keep meticulous notes when I go to games and I have them organized to where I can call them back. It's helped me a lot. And I, you know, I didn't know who Vinny Paz was at the time, but I wrote, I had my notes next to him, gigantic frame, like plus plus, like like intriguing. But I wrote clunky swing because it wasn't in sync. But he synced it up now, man. He is. It's that's growth, and he's he had the frame. He was the biggest dude there. He, of course, he's next to like Wilman Candelario and all that stuff. So like he, <laughs> he looks enormous in instructs. You know what I mean? Yeah. And but like in like John Rave from My Alma Mater, like he just towers over these guys. But like he stood out physically. Bobby Witt was there, and Pesantino stood out physically. Diego Cartaya was there for the Dodgers. Like that's a big dude too. Like and. But yeah, Pena was there, stood out, looked like a young like Jason Hayward type build in the making with the long arms and legs, and 
Uh, hopefully, he gets the contact concerns under control because, uh, to answer your earlier question, he could easily be a top 100 guy if he rebounds again. Um, the swing and miss, that's the one thing I hate when we push young kids like that up and we bring them down. It's always like, well, you know, it's always – you always kind of want to be passive on these guys until they come up. But he sold us on the frame and fell in love with the package. But then he just couldn't hit, but he's, he's not done as a prospect. He'll bounce back. Uh, I'm excited to see what he does. This is oh, – yeah. One of my MILB TV teams, the organizations to watch for sure is the Royals because they have a lot of storylines that, um, that I'm interested in seeing how they all play out. If you don't follow Matt on Twitter, uh, Matt, plug your Twitter handle real quick. Uh, MD Tomp FWFB, and I very, very apologize for all the Cardinal tweets. <laughs> well, so A, I was going to warn everybody about that, but so B, it's a it's a frustrating organization. To, you guys probably have different <laughs> views, but. They, you know, you if 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 they were, they act. I'll make a general statement. They pretend they're more like you guys as far as revenue, when they're not. You know what I'm saying? You're and, carrying Goldschmidt and Arenado. You're doing just fine. Right, but then you're not adding. But then you don't add to it. It's right, because their window is closing. They don't want to say it, but it is. Um, I don't. Wrong, wrong tangent. You guys will. will uh, <laughs> You guys will love my Twitter account as I melt down throughout the season. But, uh, if you don't follow Matt on Twitter, I was going to say, outside the Cardinals stuff, he does a great job breaking down film of of minor league prospects. And I, every now and then, like, I think it was the 2020 draft. I was really, really hoping the Royals would take Jake Eater. And they ended up taking um, Tyler Gentry in the third. Mm. And then literally the pick before the Royals' fourth round pick, Jake Heater goes off the board, and Chamberlain was the next was the next pick. Um, and I think I saw, Matt, you were tweeting film of Jake Eater after that. And I was like, that was like the first time I came across your Twitter account, I believe. I'm like, okay, this guy and I are – like <laughs> I'll, I'll, on Twitter at least, we're going to get along in terms of, of follows and whatever. So Yeah, Eater's um, popped since then. Not that it has anything to do with that, of course. But yeah, <laughs> Eater's taking steps forward. So it's, yeah. uh, nice. So – Anyway, follow Matt on Twitter. Some great minor league breakdowns. I, I know you Thank tweet you. a lot about the Royals during the season because, again, it is an intriguing farm. Hit up Prospects Live, too. Yeah. Check out Prospects Live if you're not familiar. We do a lot of things from the we cover the prep game, college. Uh, college coverage is up there with anybody right now. Um, and then our minor league daily sheet will come out uh, as the minor league season starts. Mm -hmm. And what that essentially is is in your inbox – Every morning via our Patreon, there will be a rundown of the minor league action where we siphon through box scores and each, you know, each person on our staff covers a level and we write blurbs that are about the player, tell you what's going on, what's, what the role is, you know, just recap with some, maybe some crappy pop culture humor thrown in and all that stuff. But, that, you know, we, we enjoy it. It's good. It keeps you up to date with the minor league system without having to follow it. So. Uh, that's something to look forward to that we'll be dropping pretty soon as games start. So and I will say, too, Prospects Live's draft coverage is second to, to oh, none. Yeah. Joe Doyle kills um, it on that end. Um, you guys do phenomenal work on the draft. Hopefully, fingers crossed, the last two years, maybe three years, I've done the Royals pick in the live mock. So How do you enjoy that? that? That's a really fun project. That is I outstanding. That. And, and, and I was – I was watching it last year as I was waiting for the Royals pick to roll around, and then I, I watched again as you know I was waiting for the next pick or whatever. And Joe's going to wind up on like he's going to be the guy on MLB.com in, in ten Should years. Should be. It's he's doing very good at what he does. 
very, very um, good. And, and I think a lot goes behind the scenes. I think it's a fun production with graphics, and we, we, we insert highlights in. And, and it, it almost looks like, uh, you know, it's as close as it gets to a telecast without being a telecast. We have it fun really with does. it. We have fun with it, and I think it comes out extremely well. And it's, uh, it's our pride and joy. It's, it's a thing that attracts a lot of eyeballs, a lot of fantastic work. So, Thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah. I'll make sure to relay that message to the guy. It's, uh, it's good to hear you know, people commenting on the, the work they put in. So. Absolutely. Well, Matt, thank you very much for joining us tonight. Appreciate your time. I'm sure, we'll have you get on again here in the next year or so as we as we track down, you know, the countdown to getting this trio into the big league. So, thanks again for joining us tonight, man. Really appreciate your time. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. You guys have a great night. Too.